In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Now the significance of Christmas with the babe wrapped in swallowing cloths quickly fast forwards into Jesus' earthly ministry. We see this in all the Gospels. His boyhood escapades are more pebbles than they are milestones, but for what we do know, his ability and wit are as unchanging as he is eternal. Still, Jesus has this mysterious youth that we are captivated by. The mystery of Jesus' youth is complemented by our never-ending curiosity. Who was the boy Jesus? Now, there are extra-biblical texts uh, in the Apocrypha, as well as just a pure heresy that's out there that seeks to fill in the gaps of Jesus' childhood, but none of them will do for us that will always be a gap, that will always be an unknown about his Nazarene roots. There might be a a sense of divine purpose to this. In fact, I believe that there is a divine purpose in not telling us more. Perhaps the purpose is to emphatically emphasize the eternal Son of God who is born the Son of Man. Or perhaps perhaps it is to avoid anything else in his childhood from overshadowing his miraculous birth. Whatever the, the purpose or purposes may be, there is something at the center of why there is a limitation to what we know of Jesus's childhood. And it is the messianic story, the true story of God who becomes flesh for the sake of saving us sinners. In this sense, it is a good thing to just bring up and to make the distinguishing point that the Gospels are different from any sort of biography you might be used to. That, in fact, is not the purpose of the Gospels to be a biography of Jesus, but in fact to speak and proclaim the sole purpose of the Scriptures, which is to tell and preserve that messianic story for the salvation of sinners. It is to relay to us what it, it, what it means for God to be born in the flesh to save sinners like you and I. So, what we have today is a little bit of a different story. It's different from what we typically see in the rest of the scriptures. But if it truly is for the purpose as it is, to convey the messianic uh, story then we can see in this gospel today about Jesus in the temple as a sort of coming of age story. St. Luke preserves in his record of Jesus' life this episode in the temple at the feast of the Passover. It's not merely, he doesn't include it as a mere historical note. Rather, it develops that messianic origin story as much as it does tell us what the life was for Mary and Joseph, how they faithfully made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year. And for the 12-year-old Jesus, this chronicles, again, this coming-of-age story. It tells us that the, the, the messianic purpose of Jesus has always been there since his birth. 
Now, you may be wondering about Jesus and his age. Maybe you don't. But that, does have a, that is a question that you could think of from this text. And boys Jesus' age were expected to be trained in the observance of all religious duties and, for that part, uh, participate in the festival with their elders. Now, Jesus does this, but he also exceeds his expectations, much to the distress of his parents. We hear and read at the close of the festival when all of the Jerusalem pilgrims returned home. Jesus goes home, just not with Mary and Joseph. Jesus goes to the Father's house, to the temple of Yahweh. And there he amazed the teachers with his understanding and answers. None of them there were wondering where the boy's parents were, since they were awestruck by everything that he was saying to them. He sat among them with attentiveness and with questions that displayed an uncanny intimacy with the teachings. But for Mary and Joseph, the astonishment of the teachers falls flat. They are both relieved and furious at the situation. If you're a parent and you've lost your child for even a millisecond, you know the feeling. An exasperated Mary scorns her son. Son, why have you treated us so? And Jesus responds in a way that only he can respond. And any children, do not respond this way to your parents. (laughs) Jesus responds to Mary and Joseph, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house. And to those words, Mary and Joseph were left beside themselves. They did not really know how to react to this. But we learned that Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. And one day she would know all too well what it was for Jesus to have done as he did and to say what he said. You see, the temple to the Jerusalem pilgrims and the teachers of Israel signified the real presence of God. For Jesus, the temple is his earthly home, the house of his Father, God the Father. The church is the same for us. For you and me, the real presence of God is just as near in this place. And the temple of God established for us is this church, is the church of God where we gather as his people to receive what we can't get on our own, his word, a promise, and salvation, the sacraments, baptism which washes away our sins, and the Holy Supper that is Christ's body and blood that Jesus himself says is for the forgiveness of sins. God, does this, God provides for us as much as he did for the people in his own time. The illustration for us then is clear. When Jesus was presumed lost, his parents looked for him among their relatives and acquaintances, but he was not found among them. He was found when they arrived at God's temple, his father's house. And so it's not a cliche thing to say 
that when looking for Jesus, you cannot find him from among relatives and acquaintances, at least not in the salvific way, in the saving way. We find God, or rather God finds us, when the Holy Spirit calls us by the gospel. Think again for yourselves about what Jesus said in response to his mother. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Jesus operates on the presumption that we know where he is found. And if we are looking for him, then it is we who are lost, not him. Now this conjures up all sorts of uh, false assumptions that surround the sort of teaching. Some assume that we can believe by association, believe through our family connections, but no one has ever been saved apart from Christ. And you've probably had acquaintances who ask you to pray for them, who have no intention of ever petitioning God themselves. The world is lost seeking for God in all the wrong places. Jesus gives us a true foundation, a true place where God has promised to be, where we can always find him. Jesus would have us to know precisely where he is. After all, he is the shepherd who seeks us, his lost sheep. It is not the other way around. Better still, and that one of the parts of, of the heart of this, this gospel text today, is that Jesus loves the lost. He loves you. He loves your family. He loves all your acquaintances. He loves all the world. Even though we are lost, helpfully, hopelessly lost as sinners. All are sinners. All are lost. And all may be found in the temple made without hands. And that temple made without hands is Jesus himself. Jesus is the temple. This is the full circle of our, of our text today. From Christ in his boyhood into his ministry. The descriptor of the temple finds its completion in the person of Christ. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the Father's house that dwells among men and calls all people to gather into his near presence. When we gather into the church, we are invited into the word made flesh. We are enlightened with his gifts. We are made holy. We are kept in the true faith. This is the work of God among us, the temple of God among us. If you fast forward to the foot of the cross, Mary's heart was breaking, that that heart that treasured all the memories of her son's youth, including this moment in the temple. For her, it became all too clear what her son was doing in the father's house that day. The father sent his temple into the world, his only begotten son, to save us from death and hell. This temple hung upon the cross, and this crucified temple has found us. In this crucified temple, we are forgiven and set free. It's this beautiful bookends that, that the, the, the text for us gives us this morning. Maybe you heard it. At the beginning and at the end of our text, it sums up both Jesus' youth and his public earthly ministry. In the beginning, we read that Jesus 
found favor with God the Father as the incarnate one in the flesh. But by the end of the story, as we go through how Jesus speaks to people and loves them by both understanding the scriptures and its full purpose for the salvation of men, by the end of the text, we read that Jesus was in favor with both God and man. We might not know the fullness of Jesus' childhood, but what we do know is that this child of God came to us when we were helplessly lost in our sinful condition. He is our temple. He is our refuge. He is our strength, our salvation. And when we are in him, we dwell secure in the house of the Father, our heavenly Father. Jesus gives us to call upon his Father as our own. Think about that with the Lord's Prayer. That through his Son, Jesus invites us to call the Father our Father, to petition him, to call upon him as our own Father, and to make our home in his home, in his house, in the temple, in the church. So today, when you leave the house of the Father, remember to come home again. Remember that when you're here, you're never lost. The favor, the grace of God through faith in Christ has found each and every one of you. Remember that the great message today is that Jesus has made the Father's house your house too. Amen.